0: Thank you so much, Adam. That was a little bit long there. So thanks, everybody, for bearing with us. Um, My name is Amanda. For those of you who do not know me, um, I am one of the pastors here on staff at Midtown, and I have the privilege of getting to share with you all today. I'm going to pull an Alex and actually get to sit while I speak today. So thank you, Cassie. So kind to me. Um, Well, I am going to continue through our series on um, the minor prophets, and today we're going to take a look at the book of Micah. And for those of you who are familiar with Micah, you're probably thinking, that's the one that says, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly, right? And to that, I would say yes, but there's so much more to the book of Micah than just that. And Micah may have famously shared these instructions from God, but... Why? Why did he tell them to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly? Well, today we're going to learn that the source of that reminder was actually the misuse of power that was happening in Judah. And if we're being honest, the word power makes us a little uncomfortable. And it's usually a red flag if it doesn't make you uncomfortable. If somebody's like, I love power, you're like, okay, sit down, please. (laughs) So instead of power, we like to fill that word with leader or influence and authority to cushion its sound. But the idea of power really brings questions to mind, like can you be a servant leader and a person of power? Does uncorrupted power really even exist? We have a lot of presuppositions about power. Have you ever heard the saying that says power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's a common presupposition we have about power. And the world has shown that to be true and that more often than not, power results in corruption and destruction. We often believe that power is ultimately rooted in violence. And instead of believing that the ultimate distortion of power is violence. There's a big difference in those two things. Because if we believe that power is ultimately rooted in violence, then we, nothing we do really matters. Because we're just on this inevitable slippery slope that's going to lead us to violence. But if we believe that power is, violence is ultimately the distortion of power, then instead of a slippery slope, we are actually at a crossroads. We have a choice that we get to make on what we do with power. And the world has shown us that power really is just for the rich minority in the world, it's not for us ordinary majority. And power really is everywhere in life, if we're being honest. If we think about it, all life has power of some sort, whether it's the power to create or to transform, But what's unique about us as humans and the power that we have is that as image bearers, we have the exclusive power to provide meaning, to interpret and make sense of the things around us. Power is so intimately tied to who we are as image bearers. It's a gift from God that needs to be sought and stewarded well. God intended power to be a source of creation and abundance and growth. He didn't make us image bearers simply for our own flourishing. He did it so we could bring all of creation into the fulfillment of his original plan. When he looked at his creation and he said, it is good. As image bearers, we have power that is meant for the flourishing of others to be shared in community through justice, mercy, and humility. But when we misuse power, it turns into idolatry and injustice. And we see this misuse of power very clearly throughout the book of Micah. And as we dig a little closer at Micah, we are going to remember our three points. First of all, a prophet is just simply a messenger sent by God to call his people back to covenant relationship with him second the old testament covenant was an agreement between god and the people of israel and when a covenant is broken a relationship is broken and that ultimately leads to a fallout from broken relationship But number three, there's some good news here. God does not leave his people behind in their brokenness. He works to restore their relationship and their covenant through his prophets. We see all three of these things prominent in the book of Micah. And the book of Micah was written by, guess who, the prophet Micah. And he wrote this during a time of prosperity in Judah. The people that Micah is speaking about are the oppressive, wealthy, and powerful leaders in Judah. You see, at the time, injustice ruled the land. All of the laws favored the wealthy and actively deprived the poor, not only of their possessions, but of their security and their hope. You see, the rich and the powerful, they would prey on widows and their children. They would seize their lands and all of their inheritance. They would evict them, leaving them homeless without any of their inheritance, which was their livelihood. No money, no food, and no means of survival. They used their power to oppress. And the book of Micah takes us through a series of prophecies or messages to Judah, condemning their injustice and telling of their impending destruction. I would be scared if I was them. But Micah was alone in his words of destruction, just as many biblical prophets were. He was alone telling everybody of their impending destruction. And corruption has infiltrated the nation's leaders, the religious leaders, the prophets. Everyone was corrupt. And Micah was the only one up saying, hey, this isn't right. And other re- religious leaders came after Micah and was like, "No, don't wor- don't listen to him. Micah's he's a little dramatic over there. We don't need to we don't need to listen to him, because our God is good and He's compassionate. So He would never allow us to be destroyed." But that was a straight out lie. They knew better. They were so greedy. They were so fixed on power and other people's approval that they were able to just spit out a promise from God that was entirely false because they wanted approval and they wanted to be paid. There's a saying that the job of a preacher is to comfort the disturbed and disturbed the comfortable. And Micah was definitely disturbing the comfortable here. And it got him in a lot of trouble. It did not win him any favor His honest negativity didn't gain him popularity, but that wasn't what Micah was there for. He wasn't there to gain popularity, but he was sent as a messenger of God to correct God's people and restore their covenant relationship. Now, don't get me wrong. God did confirm that destruction was coming for Judah, but he said in spite of that, after the destruction, there would be a rebuilding. That after the scattering, there would be a gathering. And Micah shares this hope of a promise of a messianic king that would come from the line of Judah, the line of David, <laughs> rule over the new Jerusalem. And does that sound familiar to anybody? Hint, Jesus, maybe? Um, Micah went on to share that this messianic kingdom was going to be made of a faithful remnant of God's people and that they would be a blessing among the nations. And after this restoration, God was going to bring a final justice and remove evil from the world. What hope we have in Jesus. Then, after yet another warning of destruction, Micah comes with the infamous instructions on how we are to follow God. In Micah 6.8, he says, Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Essentially, what Micah is saying here is that as image bearers, we have power that is meant for the flourishing of others to be shared in community through justice, mercy, and humility. And these instructions have a powerful implication for us today. But first, we need to understand the misuse of power before we can really dig in on how we're to share our gift of power. And unfortunately, we're all too familiar with the misuse of power. I would bet that everyone in this room has some sort of story about how the misuse of power that has impacted them personally, whether it's you or someone you love, And I dare say that all misuses of power stem from idolatry and lead to injustice. You see, any good thing can turn into an idol in our lives. If we allow it to take place of God or use it to play God, it can become an idol. And in the case of Judah, their idols were money and power. And this led them to such injustice that God sent Micah down to warn them of their impending destruction. Money and power grew so great that the leaders not only used it to solve their problems, but as a tool of oppression. You know, at Midtown, we talk semi-often about the holds that the love of money can have on us. And we do that because the Bible and even the world tells of its destruction, We see this very clearly in Micah, what this did to the hearts of the leaders and the prophets. The prophets no longer spoke truth because they were concerned about others' perceptions of them. They were concerned about losing their jobs, and they needed the money, so they said whatever would gain them success. Money was so important to Jesus that 11 of his parables are actually about money. And we receive further instruction and a word of caution about the love of money in First Timothy 6-7. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Sounds pretty painful. <laughs> Even and especially today, we see the idol of money all around us. We might have friends and family that we see this idol in. We see this in churches and businesses and governments. We see injustices that come from it, like the fraud of a CEO. Has anybody seen The Dropout? Because you really should watch that. It's a little crazy. Um, We see it in the bribe of an official or insider trading. We see this in the misappropriation of church funds, just to name a few. It's hard and enraging. Oftentimes, it leaves us feeling helpless. And I do want to make a quick side note on money. I am not up here saying that all money is bad. Lord knows we need to pay the bills. But the misuse of money and the idol that it can be can truly be detrimental to our souls. And that's why God cares so much about what we think about money and how we steward it. It's the reason that we weekly say that prayer of generosity. We are trying to help our hearts be geared towards generosity and away from the idol of money. And it would be easy to be up here and be like, well, that's the billionaire's problems. That's the criminal's problem. But really, we all must be careful about how we use our money and the role that it has in our life. And so that's why we pray, help us to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust us with true riches. We don't have to go too far to find the connection between the idol of money and the idol of power. Has anyone ever heard the saying, money plays? It's the world's way of saying that money gives you power, and the lack of money actually takes power away. And unfortunately, this is often how our judicial system and our government works. We're gonna take a look here at three different types of power that were prevalent in Micah's day and are still prevalent in ours. The first type of power is privileged power. Yep, we're gonna go there. Author Andy Crouch, in his book, Playing God, which I'm going to reference quite a bit today. So if you guys have thoughts or questions like something I say, it's probably from Andy. So Andy Crouch, in his book, Playing God, defines privilege as the ongoing benefits of past successful exercises of power. So in other words, privilege is often an inherited power. And we know all too well as a society, we tend to pass down the power of oppression far more than we pass down the power to create flourishing as God intended. One who has privilege often finds it a little hard to tell where the source of their privilege was. Was it good? Was it bad? Because privilege tends to be indifferent about its power of origin. And this can create a larger systemic oppression to microaggressions to good old nepotism. You know, I grew up in a relatively small town and when I say your last name means everything, <laughs> lord, it was your it was your meal ticket, okay? So, I don't know if any of you have grown up in small towns like that, but if you didn't have the, last, the right last name, it didn't get you very far. And your last name told everybody in town what they needed to know about you. It would tell them your financial status. It would tell them generational behavior. I don't know how many times I came home and my mom was like, okay, but who are their parents? I need to know their names. And it would tell her instantly everything she needed to know about whether I could spend time with their kids or not. Everything. Your name would also limit your opportunities, and if you didn't have the right name, you had few to non-existent opportunities, unless you had a friend with the right name who was going to vouch for you and give you a leg up. Now, don't get me wrong. I loved my classmates dearly, and I love my town, but it was often that they couldn't tell that their privilege was working for them, or maybe they even perhaps ignored that their privilege of their name and they ignored the way that their privilege then blocked mine and others flourishing. You see, it's the responsibility of the one with privilege to determine how their power and is going to be stewarded. I love how Andy Crouch talks about power. He says, the exercise of true power always involves us in risk and requires creaturely dependence on both God and other people. We can use privilege to protect us from risk, to permit us to walk around blindly without any awareness of how we're playing God or how it's impacting others. Or we can share our privilege and use it to empower those around us. And we can't talk about power without talking about authoritarian power, without talking about and acknowledging the power that authority has been misused and abused. You know, I've grown really weary of hearing story after story of government leaders, business executives, and pastors abusing their authority. It's no wonder that we think of the word power as pure corruption, It's no wonder that when we wake up daily and we have just another news story about a new authority figure abusing those around them that we think, I don't want anything to do with that. The power of fame and position comes with it the grip of fear and secrets. And it's hidden habits and hidden loves that corrupt our soul and they overpower us and lead us to injustices. Things like physical and sexual and mental abuse of others, the exploitation of poverty, systemic racism, sexual harassment, just to name a few. in all of these situations make us hear the word power and cringe. It's these moments when others prioritize their own flourishing at the expense of another that we are misusing our power and participating in what Crouch calls malicious God playing. Now, malicious God playing can look like unchecked privilege or unchecked authority, but it can also look like pride in the idol of self-sufficiency. And in the case of the leaders and prophets in Judah, they allowed their idols of money and power to create in them such a pride and idol of self-sufficiency. A few weeks ago, um, Sam Weaver spoke on pride when she was sharing about Obadiah. If you missed that, I really encourage you to go to our YouTube or um, our Spotify to listen to that sermon. But pride can essentially be summed up as the idol of self. The more money and power that Israel's leaders had, the more they depended on themselves to solve their own problems and casted God to the wayside when God was really the only one who was going to be able to help them and save them from their impending destruction. You see, the pride that self, of self-sufficiency is a lack of humble submission to God. And Judah definitely lacked humility. Yet God was still faithful to their covenant. He, and he promised to restore them once they remembered who their true king was and they decided to live in faithfulness to their relationship. Micah is the story of the rich and powerful using their resources to fix a situation while simultaneously oppressing those around them. And when the exercise of power, whether it's privileged or authoritarian or prideful, leads to the powerlessness of others, then things have gone fiercely wrong from the way God intended. So how did God intend power? What is biblical power? First, it's important to clarify that power should bring honor, not shame. Power brings hope, not fear. Power should be something that's shared, not hoarded. Think abundance, not scarcity. Power is meant for the participation in creation, not for our own consumption. We often think of good power as something that's reserved for the superheroes of the world. We think about power should be that it should be used to fight injustice and we should push back oppression, which that is a component of good power, but it's not the whole idea of biblical power. Good biblical power is also for creating spaces for thriving and collaboration, reconciliation and relationships, and the multiplication of power. You see, being Superman isn't really the aim of biblical power, and neither is it to have just ultimate good power, because both of these can quickly turn into idols that demonstrate our human desire for dominance and self-sufficiency. The Superman mentality often leads to what Crouch calls benevolent God playing, and when we when we are benevolently God playing God, um, we are making ourselves the hero instead of the ones that we're serving. Benevolent God playing is power without vulnerability. It's meeting a need, but not getting so close that you could build a relationship. Benevolent God playing often looks like pride, bragging about all of the good things that we're doing. Jesus even gave us instructions on this type of behavior in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Only God can be God we must not let our benevolence become a point of pride in our life. Practically, this can look like going on a missions trip or participating in a serve day and going in with a benevolent superhero mentality, thinking that we're coming with all the answers without even stopping to ask any questions. It's seeking to fix something instead of seeking to understand and empower how often do we catch ourselves when somebody comes with us to a need, with a need or something going on in their life, we try to immediately throw a solution out. We try to immediately fix them, whether it's financially or emotionally. We want people to be better. We want to help. But when we try to solve other people's sadness, By cracking a joke or filling their emptiness with material things, we're participating in a benevolent God-playing. Benevolent God-playing is meeting needs without restoring dignity and delight as image-bearers. This is what Crouch calls justice without the gospel. And the test of power, whether it is truly biblical, is if everyone in the community flourishes when everyone is indwelling their roles and playing by the rules. If only a few people are experiencing abundance and growth, then power is being misused. Biblical power multiplies. It is abundance and growth. And biblical power is a servant of love. Our first and greatest example of this is God himself. The most powerful being in the universe leverages his power for us. God's not just some being in the sky playing puppet with all of us down here. He is a living and relational God. That is to say that God is not just his power or his sovereignty, but he is love and his power is loving We see this again in Jesus' teachings as he sums up the Torah in Matthew 22. He says, To love God and to love others, which is paralleled in Micah 5, when Micah expresses that God's desire is for his people to express their commitment to him, not through sacrifices, but by the giving of themselves. God desires image bearers, to practice their authority in a way that embodies the commitment of giving of ourselves to God and giving of our power to and for others. Crouch sums it up beautifully. He says, power is nothing without love, and love without power is less than what it was meant to be. Worship team, if you could join me. So how do we, as image bearers, get to live out this gift of power? One that's loving, communal, humble, yet appropriately fierce. This is where our favorite verse comes into play. We get to go back to Micah 6.8. This is one of those few times in the Bible where you get a pretty clear answer of what we're supposed to do. I kind of love that. And Micah 6.8 says that we are to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Remember that as image bearers, we have power that's meant for the flourishing of others to be shared in community through justice, mercy, and humility. And in order to act justly, we must remember that the gift of power is not for my flourishing, but for the flourishing of others, which requires that power is practiced in community. When power is practiced alone, it quickly becomes a misused idol. We often think of acting justly as some big gesture, some grand action that causes a big change. And while that happens, and I pray that God uses people in this room to make that happen, the reality is for most of us, acts of justice look like ordinary acts generosity, humility, and presence. The good old see something, say something comes to mind, something we can all do. It often looks like providing a meal for someone or providing clothes for someone in need, paying that bill you had someone share with you about. It looks like sitting in the sorrow of a friend who mourns an unimaginable loss looks like celebrating with those around us for the good things that are happening. I cannot overstate the importance of presence, not just in the times of mourning, but in the times of celebration. Presence is a healing gift. It brings strength and joy and peace. And while I've listed some simple actions that we can participate in, Acting justly goes beyond our actions. It's a lifestyle. It's a mentality. Because when we love mercy, acts of justice will flow. And an essential component of loving mercy is time spent with the Father. When we love mercy, it requires us to abide in God's presence. Second, we need to be an interruptible people. We have to create room to love mercy, and we have to create room and space to act justly. If we're constantly busy, we're never going to look up at our neighbor. We're never going to notice the person beside us. It was Jesus' willingness to be interrupted that allowed him to exercise his power through acts of justice and loving mercy. Loving mercy might lead to acts of justice, but if these acts don't include humility, they're not demonstrating biblical power. Crouch states, true power that multiplies is on the other side of our choice to empty ourselves of power. Biblical power requires humility the best protection against the misuse of power is to embrace disciplines that lead us away from success. Things like silence and solitude and fasting. These disciplines are simple in that they're accessible to everyone, but they're difficult in the sense that they reveal things, our conditions of our hearts that no one can truly succeed in overcoming. Only God can do that. There are solitary disciplines that are done without an audience that humble us before God. Remember, as image bearers, we have the power that's meant for the flourishing of others to be shared in community through justice, mercy, and humility. And as I conclude today and we enter our weeks, my challenge to us is that we reclaim the power, the gift of power, through three simple acts. The first is to act justly. To act justly is to be an interruptible person, to exercise our power for another. Second, love mercy. To love mercy is to regularly be reminded that God has shared his power with us. Solitary disciplines like silence, solitude, and fasting can help bring us that reminder. I encourage you to try choosing one to begin or increasing in your life. Lastly, walk humbly. To walk humbly is to embrace abiding with our Father. If your devotional time is proving a little difficult these days, don't be afraid to switch up your routine. It's okay to switch things up, try new things. I encourage you to read An Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland. It has some really good ideas about the various spiritual practices and how our certain personalities may thrive or really struggle with each one. It's a helpful tool in switching up your devotional time. And through these three acts, we are reordering our hearts away from the misuse of money and away from power away from our God playing towards sharing our power for the flourishing of our neighbor. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for the example of how you yield your power for us. God, I thank you that you look upon us with all of the chances in the world. God, that your mercy is just as fierce as your power. That your love is just as grand as your power. And God, as we go from this place, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have eyes to see. God, give us opportunity to exercise the gift of power for another. Give us humility as we seek to help those around us, God. God, we give you our lives. We ask this in your name.